Hey guys, I'm Danny. And I'm EJ. And this is the Your Living Proof Podcast. Where we talk about addiction and how it affects the family, from the brutal to the beautiful and everything in between. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Your Living Proof Podcast. This is episode 41, right? 41, you have to say it in Portuguese though. 41. <laughs> so I always have to look at her because I don't know what anything surrounding dates. I always feel insecure when I'm sitting next to my woman. <laughs> like, and did you notice I said woman? Yeah. That was... We're watching this like Viking type show together at night. It's kind of a nice little escape and gives us a reason to hold hands. <laughs> but the guy's always like, my woman. woman. Yes. I will. It's seeping into our relationship. Yes. So I'm, I just refer to you as a <laughs> Viking, but I always feel insecure about dates because you guys remember everything numbers dates yes. years yeah it's terrible it's fine but enough about my problems it is a problem though like when you go up to the pharmacy and your whole family's there during the covid nonsense we had to go get a test for our kids and we pulled up and they're like <laughs> our youngest they're they're like okay what's willa's birthday and i i knew the month and day yeah no idea the year yeah so my wife's sitting over in the passenger seat she's like strike one they're like, okay, Roman, our second child, what's his birthday? And again, I knew the date and I didn't know the year. So she's like, strike two. Well, Kept going on. I struck out in the drive-thru of the pharmacy me. in front of my whole family. So it's fine. It is. Hey, but we're up. really excited to have you guys back. Um, we hope you enjoyed the last episode. It's a special time in my life. A lot of significance and meaning. So hope you enjoyed that and share it with someone who needs to hear that. Yeah. So today's uh, another one of those special episodes where we get to have someone who we admire, someone we look up to, someone that we just absolutely adore, share yeah. some of their insight with us. And I'm going to let my wife set this up. You yes, know? because, okay, everybody, we're having my best friend on the podcast. And I say this joking, but also not because I met Tammy last August and we were standing in line waiting to get into this event together. And she was like, are you here with somebody? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm here with my friend, Sarah. And I'm like, are you here with somebody? She's like, no, I just came alone. And I'm like, I love you. I immediately love you. And we started talking in line and we didn't stop talking for like seven hours. And yeah. it was amazing. And I, I was so drawn to Tammy and her gentle but wise soul and she's just amazing i immediately started following her on instagram she so generously gave me her book because she knew one of her books um because she knew i had young children and we love her book so i'm just going to introduce her by reading because i can't even tell you all the things but i'm going to tell you here is her bio tammy hill licensed marriage and family therapist and a sect member is a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex therapist. That's boom. Yeah. Like mic drop right yeah. there. Okay. Uh, she owns a private therapy practice and teaches for the school of family life at BYU. She teaches classes in marriage prep, marriage enhancement and healthy sexuality in marriage. Another mic drop as a relationship and sexuality coach. Tammy conducts making love and honeymoon retreats for couples, which Danny and I want to go to. She hosts the Live Your Why podcast, which is awesome. You're going to want to su yeah. subscribe to it. I'm going to link it in the show notes. You can find her website, TammyHill.com, or on Instagram at Tammy underscore Hill underscore LMFT. Tammy, welcome. Oh, welcome. You make me sound really good. No, that's like, <laughs> that's like a quarter of your amazingness, but thank you for coming on today and for making thank time for us. Thank you for having us. me. And Danny, I have to tell you, I'm, uh, my family is a blended family. Both of my husband and I lost our first spouses. And so we have 12 children between the two of us. Mm. And the first time I went to the doctor with all of the children and they started <laughs> asking birth dates. <laughs> okay. She's like, I have no idea. I'm so they looked at me like, you're the mother. And I had no idea. Year, <laughs> months. Days. You're like, you're like, you're in like the what's summer. your name again? In the summer. <laughs> oh my god. Well, she has a valid excuse. You have a valid excuse. <laughs> oh That's an alarming number. My, I'm looking at three. Yeah, you like, could do some oh, work there. Okay. Oh my gosh. Oh, I just was relating to the feeling of ineptness that you feel when you <laughs> yeah. can't call forth important information. When like you're that. on Thank the you. spot, yes. 
Thank you. Well, we are just so happy to have Tammy here because she is a wealth of knowledge. And if you spent 10 minutes even on her Instagram, you would be like, oh my gosh. Like I just learned so much. Like Tammy is just absolutely incredible. And I uh, look to her for so many different reasons. But I really wanted Tammy to come on to talk to all of our audience about how pornography and masturbation affects families because that is sexual curiosity really we deal with that so so much with pretty much every family that um comes to danny or any uh, any families that are attending our workshops are really looking for guidance um, on how to have these conversations so i just want to ask you to start off what would your advice be to mothers who find that their child has a pornography problem. How would you instruct them to guide that conversation? Mm-hmm. So talking to mothers. Yes. Then, um, Well, I like to be a principle-based teacher and therapist that if you understand principles, they really should guide your behavior, right? And so if you understand principle number one, that your connection with your child is more important than anything else when you consider their success and their ability to thrive. And so at all costs, do what you can to save and preserve the connection emotionally with them, which means that you don't shame or take it on that. What did I do wrong to Mm -hmm. make it so that you would look at something like that? A lot of time parents um, tend to want to blame themselves for their kids' problems, which then just heaps more pressure on the child to perform rather than actually be. So I would say, number one, make sure to not shame, to keep the emotional connection there, to normalize the fact that pornography, as a matter of fact, um, I was just in preparation for this, I was reading through the latest research that finds that in the world, 91% of children under the age of 16 will have viewed porn. And so 91%, 91% by the age of 16 will have viewed pornography. And so this is a worldwide epidemic. It's really normal that they're going to see it. Hopefully you found out because your child decided to tell you about it rather than holding it a secret. And you are kind of going through sale records or come upon them even in their privacy I think that's really important what you said, because if you've established that relationship and that connection as gut wrenching as it is to have them come and tell you, it's like every mother's worst nightmare. You did the right thing. You you've cultivated a way in which they can come and talk to you about it instead of having to find it. So as as painful, I think as that is for anyone, it's just also kudos to you for laying down the road for them to be able to come and talk to you. Absolutely. If, the, if your child is coming in talking to you about porn or masturbation, give yourself a pat on the back because that's exactly what you want them to do. Yeah, You want to be the, the soft place for them to be able to come and process their feelings about sexuality. That's where you want them to, you want to be their sexual resource. So kids usually view pornography first out of curiosity. Um, so I would talk to my child about help me understand what you're viewing and how long you've been viewing and what got you interested in viewing. I kind of want to find out what's been going on without, you know, anger or just wanting to to have a talk about what's really going on right here. The other reason that people view porn, not just children is um, to manage emotions. Mm -hmm. And so are you escaping through porn because you don't want to have to talk to your teacher or study for that exam or um, do some something hard emotionally what are what are you escaping from and let's learn how to do uh, how to do life better than having to escape from it yeah just a poor coping skill right Mm -hmm. absolutely you know from personal experience this is an expertise of yours but I I went down the road that I have and in the business model was to help those who are suffering from addictions to substances, right? Substance based addictions. And about a year ago, there was this shift and it's become 
more and more prevalent every month that about 50% of the people who even call me, the lead thing, the lead addiction is sexual addiction. You know, pornography or acting out on it, any of the above. But 100% of the time, it's in conjunction with something else. Mm-hmm. So, yes, my loved one has an addiction to alcohol or prescription medication or stimulants or whatever it is. They have an addiction to this and they also have an addiction to pornography or to sex. It's unbelievable to me how rampant it is becoming that it's actually now taking the lead past all these other things that we've been dealing with for generations that are, you know, alcoholism and all the illicit drugs that are out in the world. And it's now becoming the forefront is these sexual addictions. And a lot of it just stems from that age that you're describing where they're confused, they're curious, they're wondering. And mm-hmm. I, I love it. So yeah, the, the curiosity. Find out what led them to the porn viewing. And I think we need to, um, I'm not sure the number of your listeners who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but because that's what I largely deal with in therapy and who I teach at BYU and things I, we unfortunately within our church culture have associated the word pornography. The next word that comes to everyone's mind is addiction. Yeah. And when you have a child that has grown up in a religious home and at age 13 has started looking at a little pornography and a parent is immediately saying, Oh, you've got a porn addiction. You're damaging, damaging that, that child's ability to move forward and not label himself and start behaving what he's been labeled. Most people don't have pornography addictions. Um, most people with porn habits, they're not addicted to porn, Yeah, but they can't, but pornography usage can lead to sex addictions. Like you're talking about Danny, but most of the time it does not. And so when we have a child that's viewing something and we, and if we were to come with, oh, you've got an addiction or the idea that it's an addiction model, um, I think we're not helping the situation that, that kind of makes it more traumatic. Yeah. And so um, answer to your question about how would I act? I would want to stay, keep the connection. I would want to make sure I understood what was being viewed where the idea of viewing came from, I would not want to shame. And I certainly wouldn't want to attach addiction to anything I was talking about. I love that because I know that that is really, really common for, for kids to, to just kind of develop bad habit or just a poor coping skill. And if they get slapped with this label of I am this, then they believe it. And it becomes a real self-fulfilling prophecy and they don't really have a lot of motivation to get out of that. They don't, they're not developed enough emotionally to even understand how to do that. And so as parents, that is so, so critical for us to give them that support of, oh, this is, this is something that you can easily replace with a a different habit that could actually Mm -hmm. really benefit you. And we can work on this together. And it's just really reframing that conversation. But I do think that it, a lot of that reaction comes from fear you know parents immediately are like oh this is my worst nightmare you know i'm living it now i have to overreact (laughs) and we cannot parent in fear no we cannot parent in fear that is never going to do anyone any good and so being afraid and and hyper ventilating over what's happening is is going to make the problem worse and i want to keep touching because there's two angles we want to talk about with tammy and that's if you have a loved one, because most of our audience are people that are trying to help a loved one mm-hmm. that's suffering with something. So whether it's their child or their spouse, I do want to get into a few questions about, you know, yeah. boundaries and with, with your spouse, but on the subject of, of children still, because it's so important. At what age do you feel, and, and I would love to hear your opinion, that it's appropriate or maybe they're too young? Because I do a lot of workshops, work with a lot of people, and they always kind of wonder, when is it too soon to talk? Like one of my pet peeves is, well, I don't want to talk to them about it because if I do, it's going to trigger their curiosity. And then I'm going to be the reason that they go look at it. I've yet to see that come true when getting to know their loved one, because the reality is they've already seen something triggered them long ago. Right. Right. So I just love to know 
with your involvement in this subject, when when is it appropriate to talk to your children about pornography and masturbation? And if those two subjects are the same or if there's different timetables, that would be so incredible. There's just so much content that you want to cover. I, I mean, this is like 10 hours of information. <laughs> I'll, do my best to, I'll do my best to be concise. But um, Okay, so when is it best? First of all, teaching about sexuality has to begin at birth. At birth, I really believe parents need to get on board holding that little baby, rocking that baby and talking about body parts with right names, um, correct terminology, talking about erections, talking about sexual arousal. And people look at me like I'm crazy. It's not for the baby. That baby doesn't understand what you're saying. That baby's being nurtured and loved. But what is happening is as an adult, you're having to talk about things and getting your head around talking about things. And you're getting comfortable with how you're saying things. And your child at this point isn't understanding, but you're getting a ton of practice so that when that child does understand, it's just going to come right out your mouth the way that it needs to, because that's because you've prepared yourself for those conversations. Wow. And so talking about sexuality, I think just needs to start at day one. Um, I have a whole podcast and a lot of information on our sexual theology and how we're beautiful, sexually designed individuals. And that is a good part of life. So kind of helping your child understand that is important from day one, talking about pornography I think there's some excellent resources to help with that. And I be I would begin at age two, start reading um, the junior good picture, bad picture book. It's excellent. Yeah. Um, by the age of six or seven, I would be advanced on to the next level of good pictures, bad pictures. In the United States, the average age of viewing pornography for the first time is less than nine. It's between the ages of eight and nine. And so for your child to have the information to first define and understand what pornography is, second, to have some type of a warning or understanding why it's not good for you to view it, and third, a plan of action of what happens when I come across it. And for your child to have those threes down, I think you need to start young, really young. And not in a way to be afraid, but to, like I say, to help them navigate the world that they're going to grow up in. Yeah. I love that. You and know, we have the, both of those books and we have read them to our kids and we read them often. And those are both linked in our link tree as well for any anybody interested. And we'll link them in these show notes. They're excellent. And mm-hmm. they, they really do a great job of helping you um, articulate those difficult things that maybe right. he, you haven't had the most practice at. And, and I, I completely agree that there isn't a too early of a time because they're always exposed to it sooner than you want them to. Mm-hmm. They are. Well, and you asked one, let me just follow up with one more thing. You asked about masturbation, Danny, and I want to make sure people understand that pornography and masturbation often go together, but they don't need to go together. Mm-hmm. But when individuals choose to view porn and masturbate together, that creates a sexual template. And that's the people I largely am working, not largely, I bet half my clientele I'm working with this, helping couples know how to have relational sex. Sex is designed for us to share in a loving relationship, marriage relationship, I believe. And when when you have had one or both partners that have learned their own sexual response and timing and pacing and template with porn, and then you try to bring them together to figure out how to do it with each other, it's so hard. And so a lot of my work is helping couples figure out how to have sex with people, with each other. And, um, and so at all costs, I would make sure your child would know that this, these mothers and parents would let their children know that if they choose to view pornography occasionally, I strongly urge them not to ever connect those two. Do what you can to, or if you're going to masturbate occasionally, 
don't do it to porn. Separate those two because that's that's a real tough thing. That's a tough thing for young couples who are in love, who haven't had sex with anyone, and then they get married and they really can't. It's tough for them to figure that out together. It creates so much shame and stress in a new relationship. Yeah. And it, wow. it, it's interesting because I'm glad to hear you share what you did, especially the age sensitivity and, and the urgency at a young age. And man, when you're talking about holding that infant, that you get the practice, that was mm-hmm. powerful to me. That's so powerful. Because it requires practice. It really does. It's it one is. of those subjects that it's easy to talk about with clients, maybe with your niece or nephew, your neighbors, your your friends' children. But when it's your own, mm-hmm. everyone stumbles. They, they second guess, they question, they want it to be perfect. And we stumble, even myself. I, I've stumbled. I mean, I talk about these things with people every day. And then with my own children, I stumble. And I, I realize that it's practice that helps perfect that, right? But it, it is interesting that it's bad habits at first, because I can't tell you. It's It literally almost brings me to tears when I, I've heard this story so many times, which is a young young, young, young boy had bad habits with this specific subject. Mm -hmm. Now flash forward seven, eight, 10 years down the road, and it hasn't been addressed. Now we're dealing with addiction. We're dealing with cross addictions. We're dealing with a lot of different substances to self-medicate because of the shame and everything surrounding it. It just evolves. It's progressive, right? So it is interesting that this subject specifically seems to be the catalyst to so many future addictions that I see where mothers gasp when they find out, okay, now things are bad. Things have evolved and their son started having a problem viewing pornography and masturbating at an age that makes them, it makes them almost start to shake because it's 11, 10, eight. Mm -hmm. And they, Think about that child at that phase and how innocent they are. And it, every single time, it almost just knocks them on their feet to think mm-hmm. it started then and I didn't know. It started mm-hmm. then and I I should have, or maybe I noticed things and I could have done things differently. It's, it's, it's extremely difficult. It is. And then on my end of things, I see those um, young men and young women in their early 20s, mid 20s transitioning into a marriage relationship and not having any type of healthy sexual ideas or ability to know how to help someone else even become aroused inappropriate it's just so so frustrating you're right it snowballs it starts with little not maybe not so little things even but it starts here but it if it's not addressed and if people feel so stuck and ashamed then they're not that as they continue to to mature and have life experiences is going to creep into every aspect of all the relationships they have. Okay. I have to, I have to ask yeah. a question. You didn't yeah. write this down and I love being informal. So <laughs> great. We're going to give a disclaimer here. This is not professional advice. I love the authentic realness. Okay. So I have a question and I, it's a very broad question. But just in your personal opinion, not your professional opinion, personal opinion, why do we suck in our society so bad at constructively talking about sexual things? Because we're afraid if we talk about sex, our kids are going to want to have it. Wow. We can talk about, I mean, the the research shows us that, and I, I have to get on board with the very few children have both parents helping with sexual instruction in the yeah, home. So and yet research shows that when mom and dad are both involved, children delay their sexual debuts by years, by years, simply by that one thing of having mom and dad both involved with talking about sexuality in the child's life. Wow. The thing that is most taught um, around sexuality is um, safety Um, We're very good to keep our kids sexually safe as far as not letting people touch you where your swimming suits are and all the things that, but we're so, then we're associating sex with, with, you know, not being safe, right. Mm. With harm or being fear, afraid of something Um, less than one tenth of 1% of parents ever talk about sexual pleasure 
when they're teaching their children about sexuality. And that's because they are terrified that if they talk about pleasure, um, their child's going to want to go and feel it and experience it. And that actually is, there's no sound um, concrete evidence that that is true either. When children have the idea and good understanding of, of their bodies, how they function sexually, and that sex is a good thing that bonds people in a love relationship, they they also will delay their uh, sexual debuts. Wow. That's so, so I think powerful. it's because we're afraid they're going to go experiment. Dude, yeah. you know why? Yeah. Tammy is a baller because I asked this question and boom, she gave me the answer. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's, that's what I, that's what I've read. That's what I believe. That's what I teach. So um, I believe that's pretty much how it is. And the more, the more religiously conservative a population is, the more fear and shame are associated with the teaching of sexuality. Yeah. And so, so, and you already know, and all the things I see that you guys do that are so awesome, you know, that when someone feels ashamed for something they've done and they've had a religious upbringing where they know what they've done is wrong, they go underground. Yep. Their first impulse is to go down. And once you start going down, it's dang hard to get that person to come back up. We, and yeah. so if we can simply really normalize and have day in and day out conversations, I, I'm very honest with my own children about when I see something that I'm not a porn viewer, I have to look at things for my occupation that I, <laughs> my history on our computer yeah. <laughs> is by far the most illicit of anyone else in the yeah. family. And um, so they always, I kind of tease with them a little bit about that, but I think I let them know. Yeah. I, when I recognize that what I'm viewing is getting more than just information for what I'm teaching, I have to turn it off. I have my own close my eyes because that's something that we're taught helps neurologically with the brain that when you, the first thing people say to turn it off and to run and that's all fine, but that actually the very best impulse would be just close your eyes. The sooner you can close out the vision and block that vision, the better you're going to be able to minimize the memory recall you have with it. And so we all, I think normalize the fact that you, you also maybe have, have to sometimes close your eyes just like they will have to close their eyes because yeah. you're human, just like I'm human. Yeah. I love that because you have to make, you have to allow your children to see you as a human, like mm -hmm. you are fallible and they have to know that. And I think it's so valuable for children to be able to know that you have struggled with something, mm -hmm. something that oh, absolutely. may seem insurmountable to them. And you, when you allow them to see that, you have, you know, failed at times at that, but you have been able to overcome it. It gives them courage. It gives them strength. It, you know, it, it, it gives them something that they can't get anywhere else because you are yeah. their leader. Like truly you need to give that to them. So I, I love that. And I think a lot of times, at least in my generation, you guys are quite a bit younger than I am, but my mom would ne I never knew anything my mom did wrong because I think that they were afraid to let us know they ever did anything yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, but boy, my kids know all my weaknesses. I think it's really important to be human, just like you're saying, Emily, to let them know that every day I'm choosing to try to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ, just like I hope you are. And sometimes that means I close my eyes in my office. Sometimes that means I have to turn off some music. Sometimes that means I, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love so it because powerful. especially when it comes to children, the best thing is the preventative side. It's, man, if For you sure. can practice when they're a baby so that you don't stumble over your own words. And I just think any mother, any one of us would probably say, man, it would sure be nice if it was 1970 again and there wasn't porn, that it wasn't as abundant and so easily accessible and finds you in every way, shape or form. That, that would be great. In that generation, when it, it was like that people kind of got away with a little not bit more talking not talking yeah. they could you know like your mom could plug her ears and leave the room if you asked a question because mm -hmm. it, you had to go look in an encyclopedia and how right. uneventful is that totally you know right. nowadays it just is what it is and the only way you can get in front of it is to 
take away its biggest power, which is the shame, the mystery, the mystique behind all of it. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. The other the other side we want. I want to ask okay. this question. I'm dying. Are you switching <laughs> over to the spouse? No. Okay. Before we do okay. that. Okay. One of the things that was the most powerful to me, even when I first met you, but you go into it a lot on your Instagram page and also on some of your podcasts, but it's how we talk to our children about masturbation. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I want to ask you about this is because it is something that we have failed at for so long. Oh, yeah. And I I want more people to get it right because I believe there's so much power in teaching this concept freely to your children without that burden of fear and shame. And I just want to give our audience, in my opinion, the best resource for having this conversation. So if you wouldn't mind kind of sharing your thoughts about how to have it, that would be awesome. Well, I don't know that I'm the best resource. I'm not, I know I'm not the resource that a lot of people are going to agree with. Um, because I get called into BYU office every semester. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That's why I asked you. Okay. So our bodies are designed to have sexual pleasure. It's one of the beautiful parts of how we are like our heavenly parents. I believe that with all my heart and young men, because men are built, boys are built different than girls with their external genitalia and all their pleasure right out there and easy to have access to. They learn at a fairly young age what feels good and what doesn't feel so good, even from having baths to putting their pants on or and all kinds of things. They just have a ton of information um, about sexual pleasure and what feels good to them. Young women, it's a little different. You know that everything's more internal. We have to fold back the labia and kind of explore a little bit before we can know what feels good. Um, but the fact of the matter is that this is these are sexual body parts that are supposed to help bond us in marriage and bring us pleasure to face the labors of life. And if we can get our heads around that idea that it's, these are good things, and to teach our children this is a, such a good part about being human. Um, and then as far as learning how it feels to, to give yourself pleasure, I'll tell you the way I teach my own children and how I teach it at BYU is yes. that you are accountable for you. And one day you, all, every one of us are going to have to stand up and be accountable for what we choose to do with the knowledge that we had. And I'm giving you this knowledge that this is a wonderful part of life. This sexual part of you is a wonderful part of your existence. And it's been designed by our heavenly parents to be shared in a marriage relationship. And so when there's times when you're touching yourself and it feels good, I hope that you, my hope is that you'll make a decision that maybe that's not the best way to, and get busy with other things to utilize your time a little differently. If, however, you choose to go ahead and touch yourself, I hope with all my heart, you will never include pornography with that. And I hope that you will imagine within your mind that this is something you get to share down the road with this future spouse and to keep it relationally connected. Yeah, to have that incentive. So powerful. powerful. I've always thought, And in such a more simple way, I've always tried to just communicate this message with young people. Yes, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. And guess what? It will remain unbelievable. You just have to wait. Like, yes, it would be great right now, but the reward's so much better at the right time in the right place with the right person. So not denying that it's good, not denying that it's great. Right. And there might be a sacrifice to avoid it now. Right. To have the and ultimate I, I don't reward. Want, people often will accuse me, uh, students typically, that I'm pro-masturbation. I don't feel like I'm pro-masturbation. I feel like I'm pro-being normal and human. And that there's times when we're not perfect. And there's times that we don't make the best decisions. And when we can couple those times when we're not maybe doing the best thing with something that's better, like keeping this not connected to pornography, which is damaging, more damaging than just viewing porn, 
but to be able to keep it connected in a relational sense, I I just think that's going to be so much better yeah. than masturbating to porn or to masturbating and then feeling so guilty and ashamed. Well, um, one of the, I would guess, honestly, in my own private practice, I would guess about 20 to 30% of the couples I see, it's young women who are not orgasming. They're not feeling free to share themselves sexually because they feel like it's not a good thing to do. And so when we're putting so much shame and guilt around the idea of understanding how your body works actually, then you have this repression and suppression as adults that now I'm trying to break down the idea that, you know, you have a body as these beautiful young wives come in and you have this lovely body that has a power in it that's been given to you by your heavenly parents to help you feel good and to help you want to continue to labor in your home with your husband facing this challenges of life. That's part of what sexual pleasure is for. And I think it's a gift that you need to understand how it works. So then you can help your husband know how to help you know yeah. how to receive it. And that's the tough one for a lot of young women to get through. Well, because they've been told their entire life that that is bad. It's bad I, and it's simple. Yeah, you do not do that. Don't do it. That's all there is to it. Just don't do it. And there's no other explanation. And then all of a sudden you're married and it's, you can do whatever you want. But actually doing it isn't great because you're not getting anything out of it. You know, and then you have a but bunch if of. You're, if you're just having penetrative sex. Absolutely. And you don't know how to, as a woman, you're not sure how to feel an orgasm or achieve an orgasm. It's not pleasurable for 90% of women. Yeah. So I say hallelujah and amen to that because that, that right there would actually heal a lot of marriages. If that component was complete and that connection was there, Mm -hmm. there would be a lot less. uh, You could go down a rabbit hole with that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And that's why I get in trouble all the time. But I, I just have to say, we have to, as parents, I really encourage parents not to, to make sure that your children here, as far as masturbation is concerned, never connect it with porn. That's the most damaging thing you can do. To understand that sex is intended to be relationally shared and that should they choose to touch themselves, which sometimes we do, because we're human and we're making mistakes and we're learning and we're here to screw up so yep. we can do better, yep. right? Yep, we're practicing. As you figure things out, I would encourage you as your mom to think about being able to share this with your future wife or your future husband while you're doing that, because that to me at least connects that relational piece. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's very powerful. See, guys, now you this could be, be ten hours. This friends. really could be ten hours. She's the absolute best, and I, you're very kind. I just know that you're probably going to get a lot of complaints. I'm no, sure. no, 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 we, we, won't. We, we, won't no, we won't because this these are these are conversations that have been missing from homes for a while. For mm-hmm. for I mean, as long as that I have lived, because none of these were addressed with me. My mom did not talk to me about sex. She, Mm -hmm. she could barely get her head around telling me to use a tampon. You know, Mm -hmm. these were things that were like really not talked about masturbation. Absolutely not. We don't, we don't even like, that's not even a word we use. So I just think I want to do it different. I love my mom. I think she's the best, but I know that we're facing different challenges today and we don't have that kind of grace anymore. And we need to, as parents, do a much better job at, at equipping our children with all of this powerful information because they can they can do it. They're powerful people, but oh they my gosh. absolutely they can't do it on their own. We have to be yeah. the leaders here. And if you have to say the word masturbation fifty times a day, go ahead and do it until you can say it without cringing because these conversations must be had. Yeah. Yeah. And practice in front of a mirror. I always tell parents, practice in front of a mirror Mm. while you go by yourself and practice talking about whatever you need to talk about and watch your face. Because if your face is showing any sign of discomfort, Mm. your child's going to pick up on that. And kids don't like to make their parents uncomfortable. So if you can just kind of try to relax and practice enough so you're not looking nervous, they're going to feel like they can really come to you. That's amazing. 
Yeah, that is. It's so powerful, but it goes back to what you said at the very beginning of the, the podcast, which is keeping that connection. Yeah. That, I mean... At all costs, keep the connection because you're never going to get any headway with anything. If you want to teach principles, you want to talk doctrine, none of that's going anywhere until you are connected. Connected, correct. Amen. Okay, well, we talked about the kid, the child, right? The relationship between parent and child. And we only have a few minutes left, so we can't can't take the entire day to talk about this. I want to be specific in my angle, okay? Okay. (laughs) There is a huge problem, especially with young couples. And it's not always this dynamic. Okay, don't sit and say it's all this. I'm just saying the most common thing is, because I know both men and women struggle with pornography, but it's these young marriage where a young man who has all the intention in the world of being the best father, the best husband, building, providing for their families, does have a habit of viewing porn and has for a while. Right. Going into this marriage. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this story where it's progressed, but I want to know this. There's so many angles to this subject, but if you are in a marriage where your spouse is dealing with a a problem with pornography, at what point should they be more than concerned, right? You know it, you've discovered it. Oh my gosh, it's your worst nightmare. Now it's happened. And I want to just explain myself a little bit more. I've lost count of how many times this couple has tried. The young man's attempted, they're doing this. They're, they're seeing a specialist. They're working with a therapist. Maybe they're even doing a little group support. But three years down the road, I've, I've shed tears with so many wives. And I don't know the answer. At like what point do they tolerate this anymore? They've now had our second child. And I realize the problem is just worse than it was before. All of these sweet women are so committed. They're so loyal. They're like willing to stand by their side and go down to the depths of this battle with their husband. But it's not changing. And so maybe it's a loaded question, but I believe that if they're trying and they're making progress, you stand with them if you love them. And this can end up becoming something that makes you powerful to overcome together. But when they don't change and now you're, now in years three, four, having your second child, it's even worse than it was before and it's not getting better. I, I just don't have that answer. And I don't know if you do. I don't know if you have an opinion about it, but I'm sure you've seen this with the couples you work with. It's like, how does a woman set a healthy boundary and when is that appropriate? Because they're the ones suffering. They're questioning everything about themselves. They're doubting themselves. They're, it's crushing them. And yet, I know it's weighing on the young man too, but they get an escape from it. And now a lot of them are adding things in to like avoid having to feel doctors prescribe Adderall like candy and all these different things that just allow them to avoid feeling that. I just, just love to know a few thoughts that you have on that dynamic because it is the number one story I hear and I'm tired of it. It's so difficult. Oh, I love your heart, Danny. I can tell you're such a good man. Yeah, I see I see this all the time and it is heart-wrenching. And I don't know that you can have a, a pad answer for sure. every situation because every situation is going to be unique and have all kinds of factors involved. I think if this what I do, what I typically do is kind of assess individually with the husband um will how much do you really want to change um how much are you committed to change and kind of they might say they're willing to change but until you see change happening um because behavior speaks louder than words right yeah and so um i i think if the husband is truly trying and to behave then i encourage people to keep working through it and to, to do what they can when children are involved, this is tough because when children are involved, children do better when the mother, biological mother and father are in the home if there's not any abuse in the home. Yeah. And so when children are involved in the situation, you have to look at both of the mom and dad and say, uh, you recognize that 
you've chosen to invite children into the world. And as long as there's nothing abusive happening here, their success is going to be largely impacted for the better if both of you are still in the home together. Then it always just feels like the wife is the one that's at the bottom, a priority list, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like she's taking, she's sucking it up for the husband. She's sucking it up for the kids. And I just see so many women that are sucking it up and sucking it up Mm -hmm. and not being able to do the things they need to do to also thrive, to thrive. And so what my perspective, when I work with situations like this, which I do, is I do everything I can to support her in her own ability to thrive. Um, And that could be that maybe she wants to go back to school. So we work together as a couple, as a family to help her go back to school. Maybe it's whatever it is that's going to help her be able to thrive as a woman, as an individual, independent from him and, and independent from being a mother. I really try to just pour all kinds of juice into that mm-hmm. and and help that happen. If there's safety issues involved, then I definitely would go a different route and maybe it's best to end everything now. Safety. Yeah, but there's so many involved. layers. I don't Oh, for sure. You know, we're we're talking hypothetically here and so it's hard to give one answer for every situation, yeah. but I certainly think I believe in marriage. And I believe that people, I know people can change. If people are not willing to change in the marriage and there's not children involved, then I support the decision to leave the marriage. Yeah, without If the they're together and they have children involved, I support the children first. I yeah. love that, Tammy. I do too. It's so brave. It's such a difficult question. It's loaded. And I, I appreciate any answer. And I know there's not a one shoe fits all type of answer in this situation. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that there's so many people in that dynamic. And for every woman out there listening that is in that specific dynamic, I just hope they know they're not alone. I know that doesn't make any of this better, but it is unbelievable in my small little world and the reach that I have, how that is becoming like the most common story. And I think that's why we feel so passionate about helping families get ahead of the problem. Truly, people don't have to go down that path. I think there was a period of time where, you know, smartphones came out and and parents weren't really sure what was going on with them. We know now. So we can do better and we can do better as adults and and as parents and just members of of the community at at helping families be prepared for this. And I would also say Danny and I also believe and know that people can change. Change is possible. 100%. What what do you like to share in closing? I mean, you have such a powerful background in this and the angle in which you use is something that will resonate with 100% of our listeners. So I guess what are just a few maybe closing principles you'd like to share to help people have courage? Whether Just a few? Yeah, pick (laughs) two. One. Pick two or something. One, just one. Okay. Um, you're not going to be able to keep your kids from pornography. If they want it, they'll get it. And so the most important thing that we can do as moms and dads is to help our children have an internal compass of why they wouldn't want to view or keep on viewing. We have to help them. We have to learn to choose for ourselves. And you as parents, we must, we... I have to tell you, um, between raising my oldest child and my youngest child, the world is vastly different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, there's a you know a clear spread. He didn't have a smartphone. Mm-hmm. She sure. did. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a it's a total different thing. And so, recognizing that, um, bottom line is, each one of us are going to decide for ourselves what we do with our lives. And to help our children learn and process what it is that's important to them to succeed. What is it they want to see in their future and help motivate them towards real pro-social behavior where they're 
contributing like you guys are contributing to successful communities and homes and families and making decisions day in and day out that motivate and build momentum in that direction that doesn't that that's the bottom line goal that we have but they're going to have access to more than you know and i know you know that but they they can find whatever they want wherever they want mm -hmm. and so i think we need to help them understand why we don't why viewing pornography is not good right what's the harm or the warning involved in it and do everything that we can to help them choose for themselves to do things that will help build happy lives yeah it's not avoiding it it's just making the right choices mm -hmm. wow so power it's so powerful Everybody is going to immediately follow Tammy. I know, they're all going to. And, and buy all her books and register for her workshops because she's doing so much good, you guys. So I, I literally have been looking forward to this podcast for, I think, what, eight months or something? Yeah. Like we've been <laughs> so excited to have Tammy on. So we're so, so grateful for your time today we and are. for your wisdom and for your willingness to share with us, we know you're not only an amazing professional, but an amazing mother to 12. So yeah. we have a lot to learn, and we're so grateful for your time, Tammy. I have loved being here. I love what you do. I will always promote what you do as much as I can. I think you're doing important work, and I'm happy to help however I can. Thank so, you so thank much. You. Thanks, Tammy.